you know it's not the same but it's still the same having those fun because these are these are stages in life which we all have to pass through those stages but people don't understand that life is about stages and if you don't understand that life is about stages then you know you miss those stages and then later on you feel i need to come back you know to accomplish what i have missed you understand such is life yeah. i guess yeah Aloha, my beautiful friends on the other side of the screen or in your earplugs. My name is Krista Ralaksmidetan and I'm coming to you from beautiful San Diego, California. I call myself New Time Coach. I believe that each one of us, we have a treasure box inside. And once we open it, we can start to manifest our dreams into this universe on our terms. And welcome to today's podcast, Abundance in Action who we today have a very special guest who is originally actually from Nigeria, has lived all over the world and who I personally have actually met in Cape Town and has so many stories to tell that probably our uh, little time is not enough, but we'll try to get the elixir of what Collins has to share. So welcome to the podcast, uh, dear Colin. Thank you very much. So we met with you in uh, Cape Town as I was the exchange student at Cape Town University and uh, studying social anthropology and you were also studying there and um, I don't even remember our first meeting but somehow our ways crossed and we got really connected and actually even started to do some crazy projects together. Do you remember how we met? <laughs> oh, uh, you know, uh, Cape Town, you know, that was in uh, 2005, I guess, you know. Yeah. Uh, you know, we're pretty young then. And of course, uh, young people do a lot of young things. They go to a lot of social places, meet people. I think in one of those places, you know, our path crossed and we got talking. And uh, I think we felt we have the same passion in terms of uh, how beautiful Africa is and how uh, Africa is underrated and Africa is underappreciated especially when you live in a, a beautiful city like Cape Town that seems like a European city. So when you live in a Europe in an African city that looks like a European city, no, you know, we met in one of those events, you know, but uh, 2005, that's a long time ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, one of the first things we did together was um, I was so fascinated, always have been fascinated by African like culture, textiles, music, um, everything to do, you know, with Africa. Also hairstyles. I even had like several times uh, braids myself, you know. And um, after some time, uh, we got to this idea that let's kind of start this Africa project where every Friday, everyone who is on the campus could wear some more like African uh, prints and canvas and textiles to really like support that idea that, you know, we are in Africa, so why not to, you know, uh, express it more. And um, we even started like a little project and we went to the local um, newspaper as well. Uh, there was a little radio talk show we went to. So, um, and you, you know, um, from Nigeria and I from Estonia, and I even had like a local lady who did some African print kind of uh, clothing for me. 
And we had this uh, picture. I can even uh, try to look if I can find it and attach it to the podcast here. <laughs> and it was so weird because you're so tall, big and black. <laughs> and it was so white, small. So it's kind of the contrast. And uh, oh, my God, it was so much fun. Yeah, it, it is. You know, it shows the you know the the contrast and the joy in terms of expressing Africa for what Africa is. You know, and everybody has a share of it. You know, uh, I like telling stories. You know, in the African uh, you know mythology, we say, you know, like the big fish bring the big wood, and like the small fish bring the small wood together, we're going to make a meal. So the essence is that, you know, in the African experience, everybody comes with what they bring to the table. Nobody's, uh, nobody's, nobody's bigger, nobody's smaller. It's a community, you know. So even though I look dark, big, you know, and of course you look way and white, the African spirit, you know, won't say awake the African spirit. It's something within each of us that will bring it to the table. And everybody brings the part of them, you know, and I remember then we're not talking about uh, having a conceptualization of what Africa is. We thought a lot of people to define this experience, the African experience, in their own way. You know, in this way, it makes people comfortable. People are comfortable doing what expressing themselves. You know, they express it the way they want it. So you can express it by putting African clothes. You can express it by putting African beads. You can express it by putting African necklace, even your hairstyle. The key thing is making people comfortable. Let people have, you know, you know, the feeling of we are Africans. We love Africa. We want to express ourselves. We don't want to be, you know, to stereotype. This is what Africa is. No, Africa means a lot to different people, and we we'll try to respect it. I think that was one of those fun days, you know, when yeah. we, would, you know, we just do things for the fun of it, and we enjoyed it. I really enjoyed yeah. it. Yeah, me too. And then you actually invited me to the Nigerian Student Club, where I remember there was one meeting where we had like 50, um, you know, people from your country. And then I was the only white person there. And I felt so included and so part of it. I almost like forgot that I was white. So (laughs) I was so amazing. And I remember also there was a time where I got a little sick and then you and some other uh, members of your club were so worried and you like wait, you know, went out of your way to be sure that I was okay and, you know, checked on me and, and all of that. And that's also something what I call true African spirit, you know, taking care of each other and checking on each other. So Thank you for all of those experiences. <laughs> it just made that uh, Cape Town experience so much more fun. No, thank you very much. I think the the Cape Town, the Cape Town experience it's uh, it's one of those uh, once in a lifetime experience where souls meet together. You know, at times, you know, souls meet at a very at a point, and it seems that it was destined to happen. You know, having a white lady and a white and a black guy and other folks, you know. Spearheading the uh, the African spirit was quite an amazing thing, you know. So I, I I think you know it's one of those things that was supposed to happen, and you know and and when we talk about community, which is one of the basis of you know the African experience, it's about caring for everybody, making sure people live to their potential. So if somebody is stepping out of out of the way, it's our responsibility to see how do we get this person back. And I think, you know, and if somebody's not well, if somebody's sick, you know, we have to be able to, how do we know this person back? It's a community. 
if one person is not feeling well, the community suffers. And it's, you know, it's beholds on everybody in the community to see how do we get everybody, you know, back together. So it was fun, you know, you know, everybody taking care of everybody. You know, I'm glad you enjoyed the experience. Yeah, it was uh, really amazing. I remember after, because I basically moved after Cape Town straight to Tromsø, which is the northern part of Norway. And like in within a week, once I landed there, I actually already organized an African party because we had so many Africans there. And when they asked, like, who is the organizer of the party? I had my <laughs> South African outfit and they said, this weird girl from Estonia. And they couldn't make sense of it. It's like, what's what's going on here? So, yeah, uh, beautiful times. But um, today um, we want to also dive deeper into your story and journey. And it's been really amazing. I really had fun doing more research and I was so amazed, like, oh, my God, what has Colin Collins been up to and how much you have actually accomplished. And I actually put together a little um, introduction, which I would like to read. And then we can dive into a couple of topics which um, are also very dear to my heart. So you are born in Nigeria and you are a world traveler by nature and your passion for peace and community building, especially through youth, has taken you all over the world. You are very passionate also about civic education, human rights, development and environmental management. It is all inspired by your upgrowing and observing the complicated effects of the oil industry on the local communities in Nigeria. As an engineer within the oil industry, you saw the extreme poverty firsthand. This sparked your passion for community activism, which brought you an opportunity to visit Cape Town for a summit of African youth activists. There, you received the invitation to work for the United Nations for Youth in the Netherlands as the Africa Desk Coordinator. You left behind your short-lived career as an engineer and became a full-time peace builder. Your other passion is a new and holistic and dynamic approach to conflict resolution. You also coordinated and facilitated a weekly radio show that ran for six years. And Collins, you do um, not see violence as part of human nature, but as a response to circumstances. And when we go into deeper, like what and how you have studied, that list is like so impressive. So you hold an uh, MA in conflict transformation uh, form as Eastern Mennonite University, United States, as well master in environmental management from the University of Cape Town, South Africa. You also hold an advanced certificate in study of nonviolent conflict from the Fletcher School, Tufts University, United States. And you have PhD of University of Toledo, Ohio, uh, which was about theory of social foundations. And in addition, you uh, also have been awarded several fellowships at various institutions, which have further developed your knowledge and expert expertise such as Mashhab Fellowship um, at the Negev Institute for Strategies of Peace and Development in Israel, 
and a visiting scholarship at the Institute for Study of Human Rights in Columbia University, United States. So you continue to work with African youths, inspiring them to see themselves as architects of the future for their communities and countries. And you say, start with yourself. First of all, peace building is an opportunity to change ourselves. We have to start with ourselves. What a beautiful, you know, um, introduction and story. <laughs> wow, wow, wow. Mm. That's amazing. That's uh, my life in a few minutes. <laughs> yeah, Colin's life in a nutshell. The nutshell, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Wow, so, what a journey. Yeah, so how many countries have you visited so far? Uh, uh, more than well, 50 countries, so I've stopped counting. I've been yeah. to more than 50 countries. You know, the, 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 the tragedy, I, I like to put it as a tragedy or the fun of it, depending on how you want to look at it, is that uh, I've been to more than 50 countries and I've lived in six. You know, so when I say I've lived in six, these are countries I've stayed there more than three months, four months in the place. You know, so those countries is in the UK, the US, you know, Germany, Netherlands, Nigeria, South Africa, US. So basically, I've stayed, you know, lived in those countries. Because you know the difference between when you visit countries and when you live in countries. When you live in a country and you interact with the local, you appreciate the people a lot, lot more than when you're in a, a tourist, you visit for two days, I mean, one week, two weeks. It opens my eyes a little bit in terms of appreciating diversity and being able to understand people. Because if you remain in your small enclave and you don't travel, your perspective, your mind is limited to just what you can see. But as you travel and interact with people, you understand the beauty of the world. You understand that people are not that different. People want about the same thing. You know, what we want about the same thing. Everybody wants good life, everybody wants good you know, health. You know, but it's just that the way we go about it is different. Once we travel, travel has exposed me and allowed me to appreciate people. So, and it has changed my life. And I see the world because just like in your introduction, I believe we live in a global world where, you know, we're not just each individual, we're all integrated as part of the whole. And once we start thinking of ourselves as part of a whole, then we can make progress in the world. So when, when you were a little boy, um, what was your dream? Like who, who would you, like, what, what did you dream you would like to become? I, I don't think it was a peace builder per se. No, 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 no. You know, you see, you see, that's that's one of the the things that today I do a lot of peace building work, a lot of issues in diversity, inclusion, you know. But I didn't start off that way, you know. As a young boy, I was fascinated about you know mechanics, machines, engineering. You know, today I'm still handsome. You know, I do a lot of things by my hands. You know, so that's why when I left uh, the secondary school, I went to the university. I degree in engineering because that's something I have a passion for you know I don't know about peace building no 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 it wasn't part of uh it wasn't part of what I was thinking again you know you see we have this duality in us where there's something within you there's that craving within you to have peace in the world there's that craving within you to help people to be the best of what they are. There's that craving within you to do what? To be able to help. You understand? So I've always had that 
inclined to be able to help people. So I go out of my way to say, how can I help people to be who they want, even at the expense of myself? So I've always had that dream of, you know, you want to be helpful to live in peace. But I never thought about it as a career. I thought about it as something you do by the side, like a side gig, you know. So while working as an engineer, you know, I was also doing my work. I was also doing my work, you know, you know, coordinating community activities. So I was doing a lot of community activities, which involve a lot of peace building, which involve a lot of good governance issues. But I never thought about it that that would be a career. The career was engineering. That's what I studied in university. But along the line, things changed. And as you start interacting with people, and then you start saying, look, maybe there's a lot you can do better. There's a lot you can do. And of course, when we're invited for the African uh, Cultural Peace Conference, you know, uh, in Cape Town, strangely Cape Town, you know, and at the end of the, uh, I think it was one week, 10 days conference, there were about 40 young persons from all over Africa. So we were in Cape Town, we were in Frankfurt for a whole week, you we know, learning about conflict resolution, peace building. At the end of that one week, the organizers of the conference came to me and said, look, you know, Collins, we like the way, we like your leadership skill. We like the way you were able to organize all the Africa. All the 40 of you are carefully selected. You're all leaders from all over Africa, from Nairobi, from, I mean, from Kenya, from Tanzania, from Uganda, from Benin, from Togo, from South Africa, from, you know, Mozambique, all over the place. They're all leaders, young leaders. But we see what you're able to do. You're able to more like getting things done. You know, we'd like you to come work in our office in Netherlands and coordinate this new network. Because at the end of the conference, we decided we want to do something positive for Africa. So it's okay, fine. Let's create a network, African network of young peace builders. So that's what we decided to create. And then the, the office the, said, look, Collins, we'd like you to come and work in this office. It was, it was just like being a leader, you know, being chosen among your peers, saying, look, we, we recognize something in you. There's something we see in you. I would think what we see in you, we're able to do what to nurture because we think you're able to offer things. So that's how having peace building as a side gig Something you just by the side as to free time, you know, free time, extra curriculum activity, you know, something you do your free time, your weekend, after work, you know, suddenly mm-hmm. it changed. That, 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 these are some of the mysteries of life. You talk about those mysteries, those changes that suddenly what wasn't supposed to be the main aspect now became the driving force of your career. So that was exactly how it happened, where suddenly you realize that, you know, this thing you're doing by the side, you can actually do it on a bigger scale. You can actually contribute to the life of people. You can actually make things a lot better. And then once we get to that uh, stage, I just could not let go. And that's where I am. <laughs> yeah. It feels like really you had, um, you got connected with that deeper passion, which you probably even didn't know, um, like, you know, how deep it was and how wide and so on. But it was like, you know, um, as you said, a sidekick. And then once you let go and fully jumped into it, almost like stepping into that river, and then you were just going with it. And it's such a good example in this podcast also, where basically our mindset is that abundance in action, the one number one formula for this is to 
follow the call of your life or your mission. And once you do it, everything else will be kind of falling into place almost naturally. You don't have to force it. And I think you and your life has been a really amazing example of that. No, I, th- I, th- I think you're right. You know, I keep telling people that uh, one of the, one of, I always talk about it as a mystery is that at times, you know, the pieces falls in place at just the right time. You know, I don't need to force it. I don't need to push it. You know, it happened because it was supposed to be, it was supposed to happen. You know, you know, at times, part of the things I've noticed in life is that we try to force things. We try to make things work when it's not supposed to work. We stress ourselves. We try to be what we're not. But the beauty of life is that things in its own natural course will always work. So I think, you know, I didn't think about, you know, uh, peace building as a career. I didn't think about it as something I need to do. But some way, it ended up being what I've been doing for the past, uh, I don't know how many years now. So, so, mm-hmm. it, it, so these things do happen. It do happen. And, and that's why, you know, when I talk to young people, I always tell them one thing. When you're a young person, have fun. Have fun. Do what you need to do. Have fun. You know, because when you're older, you regret those times you never did what you're supposed to do. Because you're thinking as an old man when you should be a young guy. As a young guy, have fun. When you become an old man, you do what an old man do. (laughs) Yeah, raise kids and uh, follow your responsibilities, right? (laughs) Yeah, as you get older, life gets more complicated. When you're young, you don't have, you know, life is free. But as you get older, you realize there's a whole lot of things, you know, and then, you know, and then you're, oh, but I've been doing all this all along. No, there's a difference. And that's why I always tell people, you know, live your life for the moment. You know, while you're here, enjoy it, do what you need to do. And yes. uh, everything has a way of coming into place, has a way, you know, but we just need to find it. Like you said, you need to hook on. And then when the right time comes, it manifests itself, you know, it's not something you need to start fighting and struggling over with, but you need to do your own part because it might be there right there in your face, but you, because you are not looking, you will not say it. So, you know, you need to also be ready. It's just a question of uh, the philosopher tells the student, you know, that whenever the student is ready, the master will be there to show you the way to read it to the light. But the key thing is that the student needs to be ready. It's only when the student is ready that the man, the master, manifests to lead the student to the, you know, to the to the to the path. But if the student is not ready, the master might be standing there, and the student will not even know that the master is there. You know, so everything everything has to work out at the right time. It's a question of the perfect timing, the cosmic timing, the divine timing, the right time, whatever you, way you want to express it. But at that right time everything manifests but you need to be ready so that when it happens you know this is what's supposed to happen yeah and it's so much about trust as well and um, really you know even if you don't know where it goes you just feel it feels right it resonates and it just fuels your mission or passion and then you just take the next step and then more amazing stuff happens and um that's uh, really amazing how you also put it. Um, I, I so believe in all of the same things. 
And I so also um, agree with what you said that as a young person, it's time to have fun. And also one of the things I wish I would have done more would, would have been like, you know, explore more who I am, like, you know, challenge myself, try different things and so on. And because I didn't do it uh, to the full extent as a young person, I had to kind of do it later. So um, I, I figured out many of my passions and talents along the way later, but it will save you a lot of time if you do it as a young person. No, you're right. You're right. I think part of the problem, you know, we have is that, you know, or young people have is that a young person wants to behave like an old person. A young person wants to take responsibility of old people. No, for God's sake, you're a young person. Leave your age. Have fun. You know, don't start taking responsibility. They should not. But again, their life and circumstances that might be different, you understand? And because of those differences in life and circumstances, it also affects how people live their lives. So again, it's not one cap fit all. But I always say, young people, look, as a young person, I keep telling you, you know, you know, if I have to live my life again, there's a whole lot of things I'll do. I'll, 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 I'll do differently. Um, to be honest, most of the things I'll do differently is have more fun as a young person. <laughs> you know, yeah. you know, that's those kind of things. You know, have more fun as a young person so that when you're getting older, you look back. Okay, now there's nothing there. I've been there before. You know, but if you've not been there, it's okay. Let me go and try this. But if you tried it before, come on, I've done that before. You know, mm-hmm. but like you said, you know, those things you didn't do when you were young. You know, you end up going to do it when you're older. You know, it's not the same, but you see the same having those fun because these are these are stages in life which we all have to pass through those stages. But we don't understand that life is about stages. And if you don't understand that life is about stages, then you know you miss those stages. And then later on you feel I need to come back, you know, to accomplish what I have missed. You understand? Such is life, yeah. I guess. Yeah. Good advice. So no. <laughs> Um, if someone is also um, maybe on the path also like trying to figure out how to build more peace or bring more peace into their lives or communities, what would be some of the first steps or suggestions you would give to them um, as someone who has worked with peace building over 20 years or more now? What would you say those first steps could be? Where could they start? Yeah, the first step I always tell people is start with yourself. You need to know yourself. You know, you need to know yourself, know your limits. You know, if you don't know yourself, you don't know your limits, then you end up, you know, not being as effective or efficient as you should be. So the first point is you got to know yourself. When you know yourself, then you need to know your environment and know your community where you want to intervene. You know, you don't just stumble into a place where you don't know and say, I want to build peace in, in Estonia. I don't know anything about Estonia. I don't know their culture. I don't know anything about it. It would be like a waste of time, you know, because one, I don't know the people. So the first thing you need to do is to know yourself. When you know yourself, you say, this is what I can do. This is what I cannot do. Then you need to study your environment. What's the environment I'm intervening in? How is it like? Once you know the environment, you, you try to intervene. And then you ask yourself, what is the need? What do they need? Because you're not going to reinvent the wheel. At times, people go to a community and it cause more problem than solving the problem because they don't understand the community. They don't understand what the people need. So for me, those are the three, you know, three or four main points. Know yourself, understand the community you want to intervene, 
what are the needs of those community? And then most importantly, do they actually want your intervention? You know, because I, I think we don't need to kill ourselves. We need to have self-love. We need to love ourselves. It's very important. So when you go to a community, you need to ask yourself, do they want intervention? You know, there's something called non-interference. You know, you need to ask yourself, why should I go into a place and start intervening when they don't want my help? But again, they might not want your help because of ignorance. And in that case, you have a, you have a, you know some duty to help them to understand. So if they understand and still say no, we don't want your intervention, then you gotta leave. But if you're able to make them understand, no, this is not the right way of doing things, they get a point. Then they say, oh, I think we're right. You're right. Then they want to change. You know, then it's different. I'll give you a story. You know, there was this uh, European that went to an African village. And then the European was so amazed. You know, every day, two times or three times a day, the women all go to the stream. They carry, you know, the pot of water and they go to the stream, you know, and back. And the youth was wondering, why are they always going to the stream to fetch water? If we put a borehole for them, it solves their problem. Why would they, you know, morning, you know, women, this women are suffering. They carry, you know, a pot on their head and go almost uh, half a kilometer, half a mile, just to the stream and back. They do it in the morning, they do it in the afternoon, they do it in the evening. That's suffering. Let's put a borehole for them. They didn't ask the women, what do you want? Why do you go to the stream? They sank a borehole for them. Strange, the women were not interested in going to the borehole. It was later on that they discovered that this time they go to the stream was part of their social bonding. It's the time they discuss the problem they have in the home with their with their the problem they have with their husband, the problem they have with their kids. So by the time they're in the stream, they meet fellow women and say, look, you know, my son was giving me so much problem yesterday. And I said, ah, my son did the same thing. This is how I was able to solve the problem. So they use that period of going to the stream to share idea. But when you think you want to save them, you want to help poor Africans who are suffering, you put a ball hole, a tap water for them so they don't go to the stream again. They're not able to solve their problem. You know, now they have more problem at home because that process of social interaction where they share their problem among themselves and find solutions, you'll be, you'll be able to remove it by putting borehole. So that's what we need to understand about the law of non-interference in terms of if you want to solve a problem for a people, you need to have engage with the people for them to understand why you're doing what you're doing. And then they say, look, we want this. You understand? Because if not, you say, oh, do you know the time they spend going to the stream and back? They're going to waste almost like two hours every day. That's the time they can put to productive use. But you need to understand that time is relative. Why you're thinking about two hours being a lot? That time they spend talking to each other because they're all coming from the stream. They're going together. They're discussing why they're going. Why they're coming back, they're discussing. They're talking. They're solving a very important problem in the community. But when you come and intervene, you distort the equilibrium in the community. So that's for me, you know, an example in terms of if anybody wants to, you know, intervene in community, want to be a peace builder or development worker, four things, like I said, first thing, know yourself, know the community you want to intervene and then 
What are the issues in those communities? And most importantly, do they want you to intervene? Yeah, it's so true. And, um, you know, as an anthropology student, as I was, and still, I think, um, in life and, you know, stories and all that, one of the things I learned from so many articles as well, like even anthropologists, like how they went to different countries and like, oh, they have a problem here and didn't even, you know, connect or really communicate with the community and then just like, you know, um, offered the solution, which actually wasn't the solution, because as you were just telling, there were deeper meanings um, behind that. And that's so crucial. Um, also, when we moved to Hawaii, we lived in Hawaii with my husband for a couple of years. I was very, very careful to, you know, even talk about some Hawaii stuff, because I wanted to really see like from inside out, like, what is this, you know, to live on an island, which is so beautiful, really like heaven on earth, you know, and what are the issues and what are the locals actually, you know, thinking what the issues are. And um, it started to, you know, uncover its different things and then starting to see like, okay, where can I contribute and how can I do it in such a way that it is respectful, but at the same time also inclusive and in communication, in dialogue with the locals. And this is what I've seen also so many times also like, you know, my country Estonia has experienced, you know, so many countries have just come and taken us over and it, of course, has had crucial influences, but maybe also one of the reasons why Estonians are so strong nowadays that we have had so many troubles and it has really given us that resilience. But I so uh, agree with that point and that story. So thank you for sharing that. And um, that actually leads us into another uh, of your favorite topics, uh, which is about conflict re re resolution. And um, uh, some years ago, nonviolent communication got very popular. Um, I have been to so many self-development classes where that's like one of the core keys, like that's where you start. But I, as I understand, you have even gone like uh, many more steps further. You have something a little newer, a little holistic, more holistic uh, and dynamic approach to conflict resolution. Can you tell us a little more about what this is about and where, where this one is rooted? Because also the traditional conflict resolution is completely another thing as well. Yeah, and I thank you very much. You know, uh, for the past... Uh... 20 years or thereabouts, the whole of the work I've been doing, it's looking at, you know, how do we actually resolve conflict, you know, within communities? And one of the things I've come to realize is that people are able to solve their problem when they're able to listen to each other. So that comes, you know, a lot in sync with what you're talking about, communication. Communication is very important you know, in terms of conflict resolution. But within the last uh, couple of years, I've been looking at, you know, what we call nonviolent resistance. You understand? So when we talk about nonviolent resistance, talk about how do people who are oppressed are able to ask for a change without being violent? You know? Because if you look back in African societies, African societies, you know, it's the devil with a lot of issues. And how do people who are oppressed 
stand up. Because again, you know, you know, when you have a problem, the lot of when you have a conflict, you keep quiet. You know, keeping quiet now becomes a method of uh, conflict, trying to avoid conflict. But I'm more like looking at people need to be able to speak out their issues. People need to intervene. And because people need to intervene, people need to look at what are the best ways in terms of how we intervene. We have to intervene by more like, it looks a little bit controversial, but people say, is that peace building? Yes, we have the soft part of peace building, and we have the hard part of peace building. If somebody is suppressing you, how do you end up you know, solving that issue? So that's where the issue of nonviolent you know, communication, nonviolent resistance comes in, where people need to be able to organize themselves, understand what is going on, and say what are the best approaches to intervene in that situation. Also, we also need to look at a situation we'll call, what we call latent conflict, where there is conflict on the, so on the below the surface. And because this conflict is below the surface, nobody's seen it. Everybody thinks everything is well. But the rate, everything is not well. People are just living in denial. So you, not, you might be able to shake up the surface, you understand, for the conflict to show. Because you can't solve what you cannot see. You have to solve what you see. So that's where you're able to shake up the issues. So what people say, why are you shaking up the issue? Why are you making trouble? No, you're not actually making trouble. You're bringing the problem to the surface so that it can actually be resolved. So we live in communities where a lot of things are bottled up. But you need to be able to shake it up a little. By shaking it up a little, you're able to do what? Bring it to the surface where this can be, you know, resolved. So I look at conflict resolution as being holistic, not just the, you know, feel good, feel good issue, no. And you look at it as a dynamic process where parties to a conflict need to come together respectively to talk to each other and resolve their conflict. But in a situation where there's a power dynamics, then there is a need to shake up the power dynamics so that people can, you know, be able to sit down together. You know, when the power dynamic is the bigger party, so it's oppressing the lower party. So how do you intervene in that situation? You need to shake up the power dynamics so that parties can happily come together. It looks a bit controversial, but for me, you know, we cannot have peace in a, you know, in a system of oppression. Oppression is strong, you know, so those who are oppressed need to find a means of how do we be able to express ourselves how do we get the oppressor to do what? To understand that they are oppressing us. Because again, the oppressor might not even know that they are oppressing people. You understand? Because it's a culture you've lived in. You know, you lived in this culture, it's your way of life. So you take it as the norm, the normal thing to do. You don't even know it is wrong. You know? You know, so it is the oppressed who as a out of love. Very important. So the shaking up of the society in order to solve the problem becomes an art of love because you're trying to help the oppressor to understand that what you're doing is not correct. You know, so by shaking up the system, you know, the oppressed is taking control of their life and helping the oppressor to understand that this is not the way to go. So it, it, it looks a little bit, you know, Controversial, but it's not controversial. It's a very simple thing. Therefore, we to have peace. Parties need to be able to understand how others are feeling. 
But if you've lived through a system of patronage, a system where this is the norm, then something needs to change enough for you to start understanding that this is not the way it is supposed to be. So that's so that, that's one of one of the things I've done, you know, uh, within the last couple of uh, years, apart from what I'm doing presently, you know, within the last three or four years, apart from last year, this year, it was more like looking at that concept of looking at civil resistance, looking at how do the oppressed people, as an out of love, like Paul Ferrari say, as an out of love, help the oppressor to understand. If you've read the book, you know, of, you know, Pedagogy of the Oppressed, you know, it talked about that it is the it is the oppressed who will help the oppressor to understand. So for me, that's a concept of conflict resolution. We need to start imbibing. How do we help those who are oppressing us to understand? So for me, it's an out of love. Yeah, and um, what's really interesting with this uh, conflict um, resolution uh, topic and theme is also. Um, as myself, you know, I I was born in Soviet Estonia, so our country was occupied for 50 years, and there were lots of things which were pushed under the surface, like even, you know, uh, the freedom to express, um, you know, writers were all, like, blocked in a way, and um, sexuality, like, there were so many things which were, like, completely oppressed in so many ways, and when we became free which actually happened, I don't know if, if I ever told you that our second um, independence actually came through a singing revolution where 100,000 people came together and uh, we became free again. So uh, after that, uh, basically uh, living outside of Estonia, I can still feel those remnants or leftovers of that oppression, uh, which comes through the cultural codes and cultural ways of how I was raised, you know, even though I'm, you know, right now living in San Diego, United States, it's a free country, it's a, it has lots of freedom, so many more, maybe even what Estonia has still but uh, those cultural leftovers or codes of that oppression and conflict, which was uh, hidden most of the time, uh, are still kind of showing their ugly heads at times. Uh, no, you know, you're right. We're a product of our society, and our society has a very big influence in our lives. So no matter how I want to say we're related, we've moved, we still carry some of those baggages because it's part of the, the things that make us who we are. It's only by time we keep walking, you know, that we're able to say, how do we, and strangle ourselves, remove all these baggages we carry to make ourselves a lot, lot better person. So you're right, it's it's a baggage we carry because we're a product of our society, we can't run away from it. Yeah, and at the same time, it's also all about perspective, which you have also said, you know, how do you look at that? Like, okay, these were the circumstances I grew up, but now, on the other hand, it also has made me so strong uh, you know, traveled to 30 countries and several universities. And, you know, I found my uh, future husband in Mexico. Like it takes lots of courage, resilience and persistence, you know, to have that kind of life too. So there is a gift in every negative experience. It's just like that we have to really 
look deeper and then also have that perspective or uh, as you also said openness and then we can start to shift things no i think i think you you're you're quite correct you know i want to look at experiences just like you said in terms of looking at it from a you know as perspective you know not uh, you know not actually negative or positive but more like a neutral experience, you understand? Why do I say it's a neutral experience? Because it's a question of how do we make of our experience? You understand? We live in an oppressive environment and, you know, we can decide to say, live all our life complaining about how oppressive our environment is. But we can also take the positive from living in that oppressive environment that it makes us resilient. It makes us a strong person so that when you live that oppressive environment, you're stronger. So it's about perspective. But you want to say, you know, two persons can live in an oppressive environment and one of them live all, you know, his or her life complaining about how oppressive his environment is, why he wasn't able to do anything because it was being oppressed. Another person that lives in the same oppressive environment goes out and say, being in an oppressive environment, by the time I left this oppressive environment, I was so energized, I was able to do a lot. You understand? So the same experience can help one person to be stronger, you know, more, more successful, and can help another person be successful. It goes down to how internally stronger we. You understand? We need to start developing ourselves to be strong mentally, to see how do we take that situation is and make it into what we want. I keep telling young people when I meet people is that, Every experience builds you into who you are. It's a question of how are you reading meaning into that experience? Are you reading a positive meaning into the experience or you're reading a, 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 a negative meaning into it? Are you using that experience to define yourself and to limit yourself? Or you're using that experience to build yourself? You know, I've gone through a lot in life and I tell people that at every point in time, I just feel like, things have a way of working itself out because I tend to have a lax atmosphere and say, look, what you can't change is supposed to happen. Learn from it and move on. But if you decide not to learn on it and decide to dwell on it forever, it holds on you. You know, there's a, there's a story I read about three monk, you know, the monk, you know, religious people, they are super religious. So they were, they were traveling, the three of them were traveling, and they came to a small river. You know, monks are not supposed to talk to beautiful women, especially a beautiful woman like you. So if monks see beautiful women like you, they're supposed to hide their face. You no, know, we don't want to see the beautiful women, so they won't be tempted. So these three monks, you know, when they got to the river, you know, the river, she was just there stranded. And the other, the monks decided what I was going to do. They wanted to go, but one of the monks just said, no, it's not fair to leave this lady, you know, she can't cross on her back. And they waded through the river. And after that, he dropped the lady and the three monks continued. They've traveled for about 30, 40 minutes, almost an hour. And then the other monk looked at him and said, uh, brother, do you realize what, you've done, what you did? You carried that lady. You carried a woman. You're a monk. You're supposed to be holy. Why did you do that? And then the monk told him, the other brother said, look, I have forgotten that I even carried the lady across the river. But the lady 
is still in your mind. You're still thinking about the lady. So now, who has a more negative image? The monk that carried the lady across the river has forgotten. Oh, I just did an out of charity and out of love. I just kept somebody. Boom, gone. But the other monk was still sucking and still talking about it. He carried it in his heart. So it was heavy in his heart. It's the same thing about experiences in life. We'll go through an experience, we'll leave it, and we'll move on. But if you allow it to hold on to you, it becomes a baggage that you carry that prevents you from moving as fast as you can. But the option is strictly up to you. What do you want to do? Do you want to move on? Or do you want to keep complaining and carrying hold on to your baggage? We all have options. It's a question of what do you want to do? And like, you know, the English, as they say, the way you make a bed, the way you lie on it. So you want to keep on carrying your baggage. Yeah, very beautiful story and a very nice reminder uh, for all of us, like to take a moment, like when things go south, like, okay, maybe um, it's all about perspective and I can just shift it, like, you know, uh, with a snippet. So um, really, really simple uh, tool. So, so um, all of our listeners and viewers, uh, thank you for watching. And as always, please um, give us your like, uh, comment, and also review on our Facebook page or iTunes. And the best part of these podcasts are actually that if you feel inspired and motivated, please share in all possible ways uh, in your social media. And if you have comments or questions, or other ideas how to support our podcast, uh, don't hesitate to reach out to us. And all the best luck to you, Collins, with all of your projects. And thank you so much for your time and presence. Thank you. So it's a pleasure connecting with you again. It looks like back in those days in Cape Town. It's such a lovely time. And looking at your face mm-hmm. and your beautiful smile reminds me about those good days. Thank you for inviting me. And it was quite an honor and a privilege to share these past uh, few minutes together. Thank you very much. I appreciate Thank you so much for watching today's episode. And I hope and know that it must have been uh, really interesting and inspiring. And because it was a little longer, uh, we will also have uh, part two coming up um, very soon. So uh, please stay tuned, uh, check out when the next one is up. And uh, as always, like, share, review and um, enjoy. Mahalo.